0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As I mentioned at the outset, tonight we're beginning a four-week series through Paul's letter to the Colossians. It can be easy to overlook some of these smaller letters of Paul. They just get mixed in or maybe lost among Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians. But within this little letter to the Colossians, there are some great riches of God's truth for us to delight in over the next few weeks. And I'm excited to to delve into it. And to start tonight, I wanted to uh, recount, I shared this for those of you who read my email this week. When we were leaving Washington this past year, all the news was about what Amazon was doing in the Spokane area. They were putting in one of these huge warehouse distribution centers, right? Uh, But what caught my attention was what they called this. They didn't call it a warehouse distribution center. They called it a fulfillment center. Ooh. And if you ask Amazon, why do you call this a fulfillment center? They say, because here we fulfill the orders of our customers. And fair enough. But, you know... I can't help but get a little bit skeptical and cynical about these things at this point. Because I think that they have this notion, well, maybe it's a, a fair enough in terms of our culture, that, okay, if you want to find fulfillment, you can order it from Amazon. And you can get it in two days. Actually, now in Spokane, because of their fulfillment center, you can get it same day. That's what is really on offer there. Fulfillment. And that's one of the big empty promises of our Contemporary age, isn't it? That if you have just a little bit more stuff, you will finally be fulfilled. Now, I don't want to give the impression, though, that it's only in our time that there were these sorts of empty promises. And in fact, Paul writes his letter to the Colossians because they, too, were encountering some empty teaching. Not the sort of thing that we're dealing with today, at least not in this respect. But still, there were all sorts of things that were on offer that Paul, as he is writing to the the church in Colossae, he wants to say, look, you guys, these are lies. You have the true fullness of truth in Christ. In fact, he says more than once, in Christ, all the fullness of God dwells. And the gospel writer, John, he writes at the outset of his gospel, From Christ's fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. We are full and can be fulfilled only in Jesus, in contrast to all of the the empty promises of our world. And so, over the next four weeks, we're going to be seeing how Jesus is our true fulfillment center, if you'll pardon the phrase, how he is the source of our fullness. And next week, we'll look at how it's the the fullness of God's promise, in two weeks, the fullness of truth, and then in three weeks, the fullness of life. But tonight, the text that we heard from Colossians chapter 1, and I encourage you to keep your worship folder handy as we'll be uh, referencing the, the epistle reading from Colossians. Here, Paul focuses on the fullness of knowledge, the fullness of knowledge. He does kind of his opening greetings, as he usually does, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. And he offers some of his thanks, the thanksgiving that he has for the Colossians in verses 3 through 8. And I I want to really focus on the next paragraph, verses 9 through 14, because here is where we really get into the meat of it, as Paul prays. He prays for the Colossians. And what does he pray? It says in verse 9, And so from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be what? Filled. Filled. Filled with the knowledge of his will, of God's will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul prays for the Colossians' knowledge, for the fullness of their knowledge. For us to understand the fullness of this knowledge, we've got to talk a little bit about knowledge itself and knowing and and how we know well in this full biblical sense. There's an author, a novelist by the name of Walker Percy, and in one of his novels, a character has this line. He says, you can get all A's and still flunk at life. You can get all A's and still flunk at life. You think that's true? Yes. And I might paraphrase that and say you can get all A's in confirmation class and still flunk at the life of faith. Why would that be so? Well, it's because there's two different ways of knowing Both of them are important, but Paul wants to lead us especially to the second kind of knowing. And the the two kinds of knowing, I want to put it this way, there's different ways that we could describe this, but the two ways of knowing, I'll call it abstract knowledge and personal knowledge. Now, abstract knowledge is like the way that you learn multiplication tables, right? You memorize some math facts and you commit it to memory. It's important. It's a building block for knowledge, but it's very abstract and objective and rational. That's what we many times think of, the, the knowledge that we learn, even uh, that we learn about the scriptures. It's a kind of abstract knowledge. It's knowing about stuff, see. But there's another kind of knowing, a deeper knowing, what I would call this personal knowledge. Personal knowledge isn't so much knowing about, but it's knowing intimately. It's knowing familiarly. Familiarly? I'm not sure that's a word, but we'll just go with it. Every week, pastor makes up new words, so there it is. It's about, it's not this kind of rational knowledge, but it's relational knowledge. It's not the way that you know the math, the multiplication tables. It's more like, it's more like how you know how to ride a bike. You don't read, you know, riding a bike for dummies. You spend time in it. You experience it. And the more that you do it, the more that it just becomes, like we say, second nature. See, Now, both of these are important, and I would say that you can't really get to that deeper personal knowledge unless you also have some of that abstract knowing about. You can't really get into a, a deep relationship with a person, for example, if you never learn their name, <laughs> That name would be part of that abstract knowledge. just something that you need to know, a fact that you got to know about somebody if you're then going to go into that deeper level of personal knowledge. Are you with me so far? So in the Hebrew language, they have this beautiful word for knowledge. It's the, the verb is yada. Let me hear you say yada. yada. And this is where you say yada, 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 Right? <laughs> And I don't know this for certain, but I actually think that that comes from this Hebrew word because yada, yada, yada is a Yiddish phrase, which is a Hebrew offshoot, which is more than you need to know. But I have a theory. I haven't checked it out yet. So, to yada, in the Hebrew biblical sense, to know, isn't just the knowing about. It's not just the abstract knowledge. But as Paul is talking about here, it's this deeper personal knowledge. This is why, for example, in the Old Testament, in the the, uh, story of creation, it says that Adam knew his wife Eve, and they were one flesh. Now, not to get too deep into this, but when Adam knew Eve, he didn't just know her name. Are you with me? See, this Hebrew yada notion of knowledge is more than just head knowledge. It's heart knowledge. See, it's a relational kind of knowing. It's the fullness of knowledge. And that's what Paul is praying for here for the Colossians. That they would be filled with this knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and discernment. Let's go on then. As we're reading through here, he says, so we pray that you might be filled with this knowledge. Verse 10, again, I've got to add the verse numbers in your reading so you can follow along more easily. He says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Paul often does this in verses 9 through 12 in the original Greek that he wrote in. It's just one sentence. It's one long run-on sentence. I often say this. Paul would have failed English class. Because he spoke Greek. That's what, no, um, because, But this is a common thing in Greek. This runs on and on and on and on. The reason that he does that is Paul is showing that this knowledge is not a sterile, fruitless knowledge. But it is a fruitful knowledge. It can't help but bear fruit in how God's people walk. Which is, again, that biblical way of, of talking about how you live. Your walk of faith. It comes forth in your way of life. But we all know examples of this where it doesn't seem to work that way. When I was telling people that I was going to seminary some years ago, there were some people who were a little bit skeptical about this, and they said, oh, you mean you're going to cemetery where faith goes to die? This is an old saw about going to seminary or theological um, graduate school, what have you. And the idea is, well, you're just going to learn all of this knowledge, all of this abstract knowledge, say. But it's not really going to enliven your faith. And it could be just the opposite. It's just going to to deaden your faith because you're not going to have that vibrancy. Now, can that happen? Does that happen? Sure, I I would say that, that can happen. It was not the case for me, though. It's not the case for me. As I delve deeper into the scriptures and into the the teachings of the faith, for me, it just brought it even more alive. I mean, look, this is why I do what I do. Because I want you to be able to grow deeper in faith. Not to be content to skip along the surface like you're in one of those ski-doos out there. I want you to do deep dives into the word of God. So that the more that you know the fullness of knowledge, then that knowledge does bring forth fruit. This is just where, what Paul is saying. He says, look, it, this, um, it's going to be fruitful in your life, bearing fruit in every good work. Then you're going to be strengthened with, in steadfastness and endurance, giving thanks with joy to God. Boom, boom, boom. It all comes out. And why would that be? It's because this knowledge forms a virtuous cycle. We all know what a vicious cycle is, right? It's when a bad thing happens, and it just leads to another bad thing, to another bad thing. A virtuous cycle is when you have a good thing happen, and then it leads to another good thing, and another good thing. The deeper we go into the fullness of knowledge, the fullness of God's truth, it becomes this virtuous cycle. Because you begin to know God better. You know his truth better. And that leads to deeper gratitude and joy as you know all that he has done for you and me. And that leads us to strive to live in accordance with what we believe. To love our neighbor as ourselves, To show forth the fruit of our faith. And on and on it goes. And the more that we live into that as our actions flow from our knowledge, then it doubles back and it reinforces that faith, see? Into that virtuous cycle. Now, someone will say to me, maybe you'll say to me, well, then why don't I always bring forth this fruit? Pastor, I do read the Word. I come to Bible study. I'm trying to grow in knowledge. And yet sometimes I'm still just a jerk, right? So why doesn't this always just work real easily? And I would say there's two, two answers that I could give to that. One, you are bearing fruit in ways that you don't even realize. Even when you reflect on your own life, and you think, God, I'm not bringing forth the fruit that I want to be giving to honor you and to serve others. I can promise you that the Holy Spirit is still active within you. You think of Jesus speaking to the sheep and the goats, right? When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me, etc., etc. And you remember their response? They say, <clears throat> uh, excuse me, Lord, when did that happen? Now They're surprised. Why are they surprised? Because as Christians, we're not constantly just reflecting on ourselves and you know, taking stock of all the fruit that we have borne. God is bearing fruit through you constantly, even when you don't realize it. That's the first answer I would give. The second answer why our knowledge doesn't always translate perfectly into our actions is because we still have the sinful nature, see? There's another variable in this mix. It's not just I know more and then I automatically live better. But we all know that you can know stuff, and somewhere between the head and the heart, the sinful nature can be like, yeah, you know what, I'm just not going to do that today. (laughs) I know that I should love my neighbor this way, but I kind of just want to go watch Netflix, right? Um, So there's that variable in it, too. But even still, as we deepen in knowledge, the Holy Spirit uses that to bring forth fruit in our lives. One last thing I want to say here as we um, conclude this passage as Paul lays out this fullness of knowledge. This fullness of knowledge is founded on the redemption of Christ. Let me read for you the last uh, sentence here of this passage. It says, He, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. See, the fullness of knowledge is founded in the redemption of Christ because you have been claimed by Christ, because you have been transferred into his kingdom. You want to know him better. I can put it even more simply than that. The fullness of knowledge, in a sense, is summed up when we say, Jesus loves me. This I know, because the Bible tells me so. Now, we don't stop there, see. don't stop there. But everything else is just unpacking the wonder of that statement. Jesus loves me. This I know. I'll take it a step further. Jesus loves me because he knows me. Because he knows you. Even when you feel like your knowledge is inadequate, it's not where you want to be. He knows you. A few years ago, uh, my friend John, who was uh, Lewis's godfather, was going to be coming to visit our family, our house. And Beatrice, who was a little bit younger then, uh, she kept she was letting everybody know. Uncle John, we call him Uncle John. Uncle John is coming. Uncle John is coming. Now at this point, Beatrice had never even met Uncle John. <laughs> it had been a few years since we had seen him. He was coming to visit, but she was getting so excited. She was telling everybody, Uncle John is coming. Uncle John is coming. And I say to B.C., uh, B.C., you don't even know Uncle John. Why are you so excited? And she says, but he knows me. But he knows me. See, Christ knows you. And because he knows you intimately, because he loves you desperately, we strive after the fullness of this knowledge, not being content just to know a few things about God, but to live into this relational way of knowing him. As we love and serve our neighbors, as we study the scriptures, as we dwell together in the communion of saints, in his church, we know him better. Him who already knows us perfectly. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.